I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, our sermon text will be verses 20 through 26 of 1 Corinthians 15. Um, you can find a copy of these words in your worship guide. If it's easier for you to follow along there, please, um, please do so. Paul writes to the church at Corinth these words. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, in these moments, we ask that you would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, we ask by the power of your spirit that you would be our teacher. Lord, that you, by the power of your spirit, would shine light on these words that are in your word. Lord, that you would shine light on our hearts. And Lord, in a particularly powerful way today, would you give us great hope in our Lord Jesus, we pray. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm not sure if you have ever been in a situation, maybe at your job, where you just had one job. You know, somebody says to you, hey, you know, you only have one job. One job. It's simple and it's clear. And today, I have just one job. And it's the same job that friends of mine have had today. Pastor friends like Bart at Christ Fellowship, who generously loaned us their facility just up the road. Jonathan at Shades Valley over there by Patriot Park. Cam in the south side of Birmingham at this very moment. This AM, ministry leaders like Clayton and Aubrey, Abby and Court, Jacob and Suzanne. Even at Grace, it's the same thing that my wife Mandy, it's the same job she has back with our kids as we speak. But it goes beyond just here in our city. A friend of mine, Brett in Colorado, a friend of mine, Austin in Abilene, Texas, John in New York City, Kyle in, of all places, Fremont, Nebraska. If you're from Fremont, Nebraska, today's your day. Lincoln, Nebraska, Lincoln, Nebraska right here. 
and beyond just this country. A friend of mine, Pastor Henry, on a hillside overlooking the Caribbean Sea in Haiti, Samuel Mugisha in the misty jungles of Rwanda, Adam on the border of China and Vietnam. From this city, throughout this country, across the, across the globe and everyone in between, all of us today have just one job. And that job is to look you in the eyes, married or single, kids or without kids, kids or adults, old, young, everyone who will listen and everyone in between. And to just announce to you the following, that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Now, these words I just said, I've modified them a bit, but those are the first words I shared with you on Grace Fellowship's first Easter together. And I do that for two reasons. Number one, as grace changes and grows, I want us to remember that we're always going to be doing the same thing. We're going to be declaring the good news of the gospel Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And the second reason I return to those old world words is because I'm as convinced as I've ever been that we need to hear them afresh today. And so my goal in the few minutes that we have together is to just try to aim those precious words that Jesus has been raised from the dead straight to your heart. And really to do that, I want to tell you two things. Number one, I want to tell you about a hope this afternoon that you can cling to. A real living hope that you can take hold of in a fresh way, even this afternoon. And then I want to offer you an invitation that you can receive. An invitation that I think that statement that Jesus was raised from the dead issues to everyone who hears it. So hope to cling to and an invitation to receive. So let's begin with this living hope that you can cling to. Look at verses 21 and 22 of this text. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. Well, the scriptures teach us that there is a day that is coming where death will be no more. It'll be no more. In Revelation 21, it goes on to say, neither will there be crying, nor pain, nor mourning. Death, this thing that... that hangs over us like a dark cloud in the world in which we live, the scriptures teach that there is a day in which that will be no more. Death, this ultimate enemy of God's good purposes, will simply be remembered by us as a thing of the past. And according to Paul in this text, Jesus' resurrection assures us that this is true. 
What the Apostle Paul is saying in this text and in others is that at the resurrection of Jesus, death itself began the process of dying. That Jesus at his resurrection, if I can be so bold, gutted death, removed its sting, dealt it a mortal blow. At Jesus' resurrection, death itself began to die, and death for the Christian is now transformed. This is what Paul means later in this chapter when he will say to the Christians, he'll be celebrating, he'll say to them, oh, death, where is your sting? This is Paul's kind of sanctified way of talking, you know, trash, I think you might say, to death, saying, where is your sting? I was at a memorial service for a woman recently, a, a woman who was faithful for, for decades of her life and passed away at an old age. And that memorial service felt like a celebration. And that's because Jesus has gutted, defeated, mortally wounded death. There is coming a day when death will simply be no more. And that is a thing in which you and I are supposed to hope and cling to in a fresh way. But I have to tell you that that hope is a hard-won hope. It's not easy. Because some of you, when you hear this news that death will one day die, that death will be no more, you sit here and, you, and you're thinking in your heads, but, but Joel, but that day's not yet because death is still very much here. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to explain. How will Jesus defeat death? How did he defeat death? And that's what the apostle Paul goes on to explain. Look with me again at verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But, verse 23, each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Do you guys see that phrase, but each in his own order? The Apostle Paul is using a military term here. What he's saying is, each in his own, the, other, the word could be something like rank or battalion or regiment. The picture that the Apostle Paul is, is painting here is the idea that our Lord is going to lead a conquest against this ancient enemy, death. And he's been slowly but surely conquering death and darkness and evil and sin. He's been slowly but surely marching along with covenant promises, being faithful to those promises, slowly but surely renewing and redeeming the world that he's made. But he's come to this point where he wants to make a final assault against God's arch enemy death. And he chooses to do it in two phases. First, Christ's resurrection. That's the first attack, if you will, on death. But secondly, at our resurrection. So God defeats death and he defeats it in two attacks. Jesus' resurrection and ours. It's really hopeful to know that everything that has happened to Jesus will one day happen to you. 
just like Jesus was raised from the dead, the promise is that you and I will be raised from the dead. And that will be the final, the final act in God destroying death forever. But we have to be honest today about the fact that death still remains and waiting for that day when he will finish death off fully and forever is something that we will have to wait for. And waiting is really hard. The Christian life is lived in this waiting zone of still feeling the pain and brokenness of this world deep all the way to the depths of your bones and in your soul with the hope that it will one day not be this way. The Christian life is lived in that waiting place. And it's hard to be in that waiting place. Y'all, when I was in ninth grade, I took a trip to Mexico and I went to a bullfight. And in case you've ever been to a bullfight, um, you can vouch with me that it's a terrible experience. Like you should never go to a bullfight. But one of the secrets of a bullfight is that when the bull comes out and he's snorting and he's agitated and he's fierce and he's angry, one of the secrets about a bullfight is that the bull is in the ring acting that way because the bull itself is already in the process of dying. See, before the bullfight ever starts, this person dressed in armor riding on a horse comes around and with a spear jabs the bull in a critical place on the back of his neck. And at that moment, the bull begins to die. But the reason that the bull gets super agitated and angry and snorting and huffing and puffing and acting fierce and angry is because it knows its time is winding down. Because I got interested in bullfighting when I was in ninth grade, I've seen some bullfights on TV since. And I watched this one bullfight where this bull completely lost it. And it actually jumped up into the crowd and it began throwing its horns around to injure and hurt people in the crowd. And this has always been a helpful metaphor for me for the things in which the things that Paul is talking about right here. If the power of evil and sin and death feel particularly fierce in your life, particularly snorty, particularly agitated, particularly angry, if you're feeling the effects of evil and sin and death and darkness, I propose to you that you're not doing anything wrong, but that you're living in this in-between place where the scriptures teach us we have a real live enemy that is seeking to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But according to this passage, this enemy knows its own defeat. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine this afternoon he lives in another state and he was riding in the car with his daughter at five or about 5 a.m. this morning, right when the sun is getting ready to rise. And as the sun began to rise there at dawn, the moon was still in the sky also. 
And his young five-year-old daughter said to him, Daddy, why is the moon still up if the sun is out? And the truth of the matter is that at the dawn, the day and the night overlap. You and I live in the dawn of Jesus' resurrection and new life. But the night still remains. And so this hope that we can cling to, that death will be no more, that evil and sin and death have been defeated, this hope that we can cling to is not an easy hope. In fact, it is a hard-won, serious hope. And that's why I want to invite you to cling to Christ in a fresh way. I know that there are people here that the power of evil and sin and death and darkness feels particularly difficult. I want to encourage you to cling to the hope that is found in Jesus. So that is the hope to which you can cling. And then secondly, I want to issue you an invitation that you can receive. See, one of the most amazing teachings that the New Testament offers New Testament tells us, Paul in Romans chapter 8, among other places, the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, tells us that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. So here is what that means. It means if you are here this afternoon and you feel particularly tangled by sin, that that sin and, and sinful patterns, sinful behavior, things that tempt you feel like fingers wrapping around your neck and constricting you. The scriptures teach us that because Jesus has been raised from the dead, that you can be free from the power of sin. I know that there are people here this afternoon that feel just the weight of shame. You're ashamed of things about you and it makes you want to hide But because Jesus raised from the dead, we can remember that Jesus on the cross bore our shame and our shame can be lifted and we can come out of hiding. I know there are some people here today who feel like they are stuck in patterns. They find themselves stuck in these patterns and they don't want to do the things they find themselves doing because Jesus was raised from the dead and the same power that raised Jesus from the grave lives in you. Then you can turn. You can repent and you can walk a different direction. I know that there are people here this afternoon that feel so afraid. You fear so many things and you're not even always sure exactly what you're afraid of. Because Jesus was raised from the dead and the same power that conquered the grave lives in you. It means you can walk insecurity because of Jesus's work. And in all these things, Jesus is making you and I new so that we can be living, breathing signs of resurrection life. One day, death will be defeated fully and finally. You can cling to that hope And there's an invitation for you and I to be alive, even now. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge that these things are easier to talk about on an Easter Sunday than to live in the other days. So our prayer is that the hope of your resurrection would fill our hearts 
so freshly, that would make us alive in new ways so that we can endure faithfully, Lord, so that we can please you in all things, that we can know the joy of knowing you, Lord, so that we can come alive and so that we can have hope. This is our prayer and we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.